of the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution, courtesy of Sascribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Zuma, and my guest today has uh, co-founded five startups, no less, including Compete, Ghostery, Performable. Uh, and uh, when Performable was acquired by HubSpot in 2011, he became HubSpot's chief product officer. Uh, my guest also has a crazy 103,000 uh, followers on Twitter, I, I believe, so he must be a wizard at 140 characters uh, or less. Um, so I'd like to say welcome, uh, David Cancel, CEO and co-founder of Drift. Alex, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, um, uh, likewise. Um, you know, really, really pleased that you're you're being here. So, um, you know, how's how's it going, David? How's things with uh, with Drift? You, I guess, early stage uh, at the moment. Super early stage, you know, here in the US, we're kind of a, a day before Thanksgiving, and I'm just uh, sitting back thinking about how grateful I am to be working with this amazing team. We've been at it for a little over a year now, about a mm -hmm. year and a month, and uh, and we're working with just some phenomenal customers and just kind of having the time of our life. Like Warren Buffett says, uh, you know, I tap dance to work each day. Okay, that's good. That's good. I uh, I tap dance like upstairs to my office because I kind of predominantly work from home. Uh, so <laughs> That's we, even better. Yeah. Um, but uh, so like, you, you know, I, obviously I, I've been doing my, uh, you know, further research in Drift as you, you, you know, very sort of new company. Um, and, uh, you know, so reading your uh, uh, excellent blog, this is your personal blog, uh, not the company blog, because, well, both are, are, are pretty great. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you mentioned there that you, you went back to the future recently to, um, you, you know, uh, refer, referring to your time at Performable. Um, and this is to work on your obsession, you know, with building customer driven companies uh, and the output of that, you know, is Drift. Um, and then so I guess, you, you know, uh, for those that have yet to come across Drift, um, you know, can you tell us more about the company? You know, why you built it? What stage is it at? Um, it would be good to know. Sure. So Drift is uh, early stage. Like I mentioned before, we just started about a year ago. We're working with our first 30-some-odd um, customers. And uh, what we're focused on is helping companies delight their customers and work better with their customers. And so uh, a few years ago, um, before coming to HubSpot, I started a company called Performable. Mm -hmm. We were focused on what we call lifecycle marketing, which is marketing from everyone from the typical anonymous user, trying to convert them into a customer, and then continuously marketing to them, ideally until you make them a super happy customer who's advocating your your product and uh, referring new customers to you. So that was the goal. And uh, we went to HubSpot, we started to focus in on, we kind of narrowed that focus back down to just helping businesses convert uh, users into leads and then leads into customers. And then that's where the HubSpot story ended. We didn't do anything for businesses once they became a customer. Uh, you were kind of off on your own. And so we came out of HubSpot and looked around and noticed that no one is really focused on this important part, even though most businesses, especially SaaS businesses, are deriving the lion's share or at least half of their revenue from their install base through retaining their customers and through ideally growing that relationship over time. No one was really focused on helping businesses with that piece. And so what we want to do at Drift is focus on that 50%. That how do you take someone who just became a new customer, make them a successful customer, and ideally grow that relationship over time. 
Okay, awesome. And, and you're in a, a closed beta um, at yes. the moment. And, and why would a you know a SaaS startup do a closed beta as opposed to uh, you know an open one? Yeah. So uh, good question. Uh, really, it it's, comes down to focus. And uh, you know, our team is a small team, and we wanted to kind of work closely with those uh, first few customers to really get it right. And so we have the luxury at Drift of having resources. AKA money, mm -hmm. and uh, and so we can take our time more than uh, other businesses uh, could if they were a bootstrap I company. I think it's fifteen million dollars, right? Something yes, like we raised a fifteen million dollars Series A. We've been very um, thrifty and have have not uh, spent much money, and so we want to spend our time trying to get this right with customers and try to build the best product possible. We are uh, largely, you know, except for myself and. Uh, Two other people. The entire team is engineers and designers, and we're super product focused uh, culture, and really want to work with those early customers to get it right. And then we'll open it up to kind of an open beta and open it up to to other customers. So it's just a matter of kind of how do we go to market? Do we go out there with an open kind of beta, or do we work spend some time with kind of early customers to make sure we're getting things right? Okay, and and is this um, like so? Drift is a, a customer-driven company, right? Absolutely. So you know, Drift is the for me for the last you know decade, I've been obsessed with this idea of building customer-driven companies. And Drift is a customer-driven company, and it is a company whose mission it is to help transform other companies into customer-driven companies. And so I think the the big shift that happened and the big change that happened was. We went from, and this happened during you know my career. Um, so when I started uh, building software, I was building kind of uh, desktop software and server-based software, and we we all did the old school kind of uh, waterfall approach, and then we started to adopt the agile methodology, and so we went to sprints, and we went to user stories, and to, in order to ship software faster. Mm -hmm. But what happened was every business became internet enabled. Every soft, every piece of software that you write, whether it's desktop, server, mobile, whatever, is internet enabled by default. That is a big change that has happened in our lifetime. What that means is every business now has the opportunity to build software alongside their customers. Right? No longer do we have these gatekeepers that we have to go through, mm -hmm. where we have to build software, wait a long time, it ships, but now you are separated from the customer. Right, and we're seeing this even in devices now. Mm -hmm. So you look at you know the Internet of Things, as we call it. Every device is is becoming internet enabled. What that means is, for the first time, you have the ability to build and iterate that software alongside your customers. That is the big transformation that's happened in in my lifetime, and that is the reason that customer driven companies can exist now, and why I think. You know, the agile methodology and other kind of planning processes are totally, you know, ass backwards. <laughs> so do you, do you think that all SaaS companies then, you know, really should be customer driven rather than, let's say, product driven companies? Absolutely. I mean, like Peter Drucker tells us, right, the, the sole purpose of a business is to satisfy its customers. Mm -hmm. That is the that is why every business exists, mm -hmm. right? So that is why we are here. We are here to delight and satisfy our customers, and so yes, every company I believe needs to make this transformation. Needs to become a customer-driven company because if they don't, someone will 
and they will be disrupted. Yeah, so I mean, I've seen it a lot sort of lately. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to have uh, Zawara have, uh, you know, one of their conferences in uh, mm-hmm. in the UK and uh, not so long after that, Gainsight as well. Yes. So, you know, one um, driving the subscription economy uh, uh, and, you know, one obviously, you know, driving the, the I guess, kind of the customer success movement um, yes. as well. And, and they both, uh, I think, in, you know, the, the, the keynote slides of... Uh, uh, Tien as uh, Zhu and uh, and Nick Meta respectively talked about um, you know customer outcomes uh, you know being at the core of every uh, uh, every company not every SaaS company but just uh, you know every company um, oh, and, and and I, I I'm sort of guessing uh, or you know kind of hearing that that you agree with this uh, right but is it is, uh, it is it is it something easy that to you know for a company you know, your startups say, look, this is what we do. We're focusing on customer outcomes. It's, it is not, you know, I totally agree with everything that, uh, that those two mm-hmm. uh, companies have said in this area. I, and I believe this to my core. Is it easy? It is absolutely not easy, right? Nothing is easy. Mm. Uh, nothing that is worth doing is easy. And uh, even for a startup like ours. But do I think it, it, it creates the best results? Absolutely, 100%. Believe it down to my bones. Uh, do I think it's the best thing for customers? Absolutely. Do I think it's the best thing for the people within the company, the actual team members? I've seen it over and over. Absolutely. Do you think SaaS companies today, if they're not focusing on customer outcomes, can be successful? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we all hear of... Uh, make-believe stories and, you know, uh, leprechauns and overnight success stories. And uh, so I'm sure one of those, um, one, you know, I think people can get lucky and they can back into it. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, every once in a while, you know, we see a genius appear from or some, someone that appears to be a genius appear from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Am I a genius? No. Am I most, most people that I meet geniuses? Absolutely not. And so we need a methodology that can help us build incredible products for our customers. And I believe this is the one. Okay. So, well, uh, you, you know, for those that are listening then, and, you know, if you're an early stage SaaS startup or actually whatever stage uh, mm-hmm. that you're at, you know, if, uh, if uh, the founder of Zora is saying it, the founder of Gainsight is saying it, and the founder of Drift are saying it, that customer outcomes should be at the core of your company, then uh, it must be uh, must be true, uh, you, you know. So um, uh, that, there's some good advice to uh, uh, to, to act on uh, there. Now, um, uh, you know, you know, let's talk about in terms of the, the, you're an early stage startup. Uh, I'm expecting that well, you know, well, culture is, is important for yeah. uh, for all companies, right? So, and and you know, what role will culture play at Drift in in succeeding at, at being a customer driven company? It's totally, uh, you know, the two are inseparable in my mind, being customer driven and having a great culture. They're mm-hmm. kind of, uh, they're the same, right? Because the, our culture is to be customer driven and the very people that we need to uh, bring onto the team and need to make successful in our team are people who are customer driven. And so, you know, culture is a funny thing that we, especially startups, um, although big companies do this too, like to talk about. Mm-hmm. But very few people, uh, very few companies that I meet actually um, believe their culture. And to me, believing your culture, so everyone can create some cultural values, here's what we want to do, here's our mission, vision, all this kind of stuff, and it's nice. Uh, But 
it comes down to the bottom line. The bottom line is you can hire based on culture, mm-hmm. but unless you're willing to fire based on culture, it's all bullshit, right? So everyone can put up their cultural values, but are you willing to fire someone on your team who's not meeting your cultural values, even though they may be productive? Mm-hmm. And the answer for most companies is no. So their cultural values don't mean anything. So we live and die by our cultural values. And uh, at the top of that list is being customer driven. Can you, and, sh- can you yes. share any more of your, your cultural values of, of Drift? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's stuff that I talk about all the time. But, you know, for us, it's kind of customer driven is number one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, you know, this kind of scrappiness that someone has to be scrappy and resourceful, you know, Cheap, you may call, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of us. We're super scrappy. Uh, we believe in the underdog. And one of the things that, you know, I'm most proud of and throughout all the companies that I've been associated with is that every star play, every star player that I've been able to work with throughout these companies has always been an underdog. Mm-hmm. I've been able to look at them and say, Whatever other company, whatever big company they may go to, whatever company uh, may look at them, I would know for a fact that those companies would not hire that person because something did not, you know, uh, they didn't check the boxes, right, for that company. And uh, for us, it's always a bet on someone who has that kind of chip on their shoulder, has something to prove, is scrappy, believes in being customer driven and and delivering customer value, and is someone that, you know, we want to be around and that makes us smile each day. Okay. You know, the, how, how do how do you uh, how do you test that? Um, let's say you, you you know you're interviewing somebody and they're they're ticking the boxes on scrappiness and they're making you smile, <laughs> and yeah. um, but you know how do you test that this is a customer driven person? You know, what? yeah, I, I get in trouble for all my little uh, tricks that I have. Okay. You know, when I talk about them, but uh, you know I've talked about I'll talk about a couple of them. You know, one is. Um, especially in an early stage startup, it's important to be around people who care mm-hmm. about what they're doing and to care about, um, you know, being part of the team and, you know, uh, pitching in. And so during the interview process, one thing that I look for at the end of the interview process is something that I call the water test. And what I'm looking for is, is at the end of the interview, and this is a face-to-face interview, mm-hmm. you may have uh, eaten lunch together, you may have offered a glass of water, you may have given them something. Does that person, when they get up to leave, do they reach to clean up after themselves? Mm-hmm. And I've tested this now, uh, it must be thousands of times and, uh, at this point. And, uh, and this tells you something, right? This is like a tell in poker, mm-hmm. right? Does that person, because this, you know, the interview process is the dating stage. In some ways, this is as good as it's going to get, right? There's no pressure now. Everyone's on best behavior. And so is it, is it you know, is there behavior that, that they'll go up and clean after themselves? Or do they expect someone else to do that for them? And obviously, you know, we look for people who are cleaning up after themselves because that shows to us that they care. Another simple test that I do is, uh, you know, all of us can get kind of... Um, wrapped up in the interview process and may like someone socially and it may seem like a great kind of uh, interview uh, but you know I do the kind of like day after test and again this is like dating again so the next day when that person reaches out sends an email calls what is your immediate split second to, uh, gut tell you do you want to pick up the phone do you want to click on that email or do you want to wait a few minutes to get back to them or say oh I'll get back to them later 
unless you're reaching, jumping from your seat to answer that phone call or click on that email when you see it the next day, mm -hmm. uh, you should pass, right? Because that is not someone, if it was someone that you really wanted to be around mm -hmm. and be happy, you would jump at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, absolutely. But most of the time, our gut says, oh, I'll get to it later, you know. And, but then our brain uh, tries to convince ourselves, like, hey, we need an engineer. Uh, they were good enough. Uh, they were fun to talk to. And then convinces ourselves to try to hire that person. Well, hopefully, um, you know, maybe some of your future hires as you guys, uh, you know, go into that, uh, you know, phase of ramping up, um, you know, headcount, uh, maybe listening to this podcast and, and they've, taken, <laughs> they've taken away two, uh, two important tips there. Um, yeah. So uh, that would be, that would be interesting, actually. You should let me know, um, you know, if that ever comes, uh, you know, I definitely will. happens that somebody says, hey, I was listening to the podcast. And, uh, and I'm definitely cleaning up after myself. But uh, uh, At the very least, they'll be self-conscious. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, so like, we're talking about, you know, um, customer-driven culture, um, you know, customer obsession. And, you know, we're talking about it being a good thing, right, for, for, mm -hmm. certainly for SaaS companies. But on a, on a perhaps a slight contrarian view, yeah. uh, I, I read an article in Fast Company recently, why customer-driven culture will stall your company's growth. Um, and, um, you know, I think I, I shared that article uh, sort of with you yesterday. What's your, what's your take on the argument that the author is making there? Uh, you know, I, I've heard similar kind of arguments about, um, about customer-driven uh, cultures, but I think that, you know, people, when they hear customer-driven, especially... Uh, the engineers amongst us, and I was an engineer at one point, mm -hmm. uh, a long time ago, you know, kind of take that to an extreme and kind of take that to mean that the customer is going to basically tell you what to build, tell you what to do, um, you know, and that the company is cannot have a vision that is outside or larger than what you're hearing from customers. Mm -hmm. And that that is not the definition of customer driven to me, mm -hmm. right? Most customers is, cannot build a device. Most customers cannot build an app. Most customers cannot build the service that you are building, the solution that you're building. And most customers cannot see where, how your product today is going to evolve uh, down the road. And so they cannot build, uh, build your product for you. What you can do and what customer driven means to us is that we can observe a customer and understand their problems. And most of what we learn from a customer, it comes through observation. It's all the small things that, especially in the B2B context, that although it's true in B2C, that they do each day that are either annoying or painful, but are almost always too boring for them to tell you. So if you were to ask them about what features do you want built, you know, what pains they have, most of the important things would be too boring for them to ever tell you. And so those are the things you have to discover through observing them and to spending a lot of time around your customers and understanding how things, how things are um, dealt with within their companies. Okay, and I think it's sort of, sort of related. I read um, that you know, you're, when you were in HubSpot, uh, that you stop making your sort of roadmaps, you know, publicly mm -hmm. available, um, and I, I guess it, it, you know why why was that? You know, it, it, do do you see this as that the, the kind of related to what what you just um, talked about? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, for me, um, 
not a fan of roadmaps mm -hmm. and, uh, and especially public roadmaps. And so once you have customers, once you have a, a, you know, a critical mass of customers, you know, I see less and less value over time uh, for public roadmaps. And that's because public roadmaps are usually things that we or I create, mm -hmm. right? They are not things that are solving for customer problems, nor are they prioritized by customer demand usually. And so, you know, we're always trying to replace the words I or we internally with the customer, right? And so the roadmap, you know, is usually something that helps your management team and uh, especially your CEO, but your management team feel comfortable with the investments that they're making on the product side or on the, you know, on the product and engineering side. And uh, that product roadmap solve for the, for the company and solve for feeling good about themselves, but really don't map one-to-one -one with solving customer problems. And so for us, what we did instead of having a public roadmap at HubSpot was to align every team, to make each team uh, focus on a single problem or single product, in our case at HubSpot, mm -hmm. and uh, let that team have full autonomy over what they were building, how they prioritize bugs versus new features, how they improve their service. It was totally up to the team to define that and define whatever roadmaps that they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And they did. And the way that we made sure that we were making progress was that each team was measured on a long list of metrics that were proxies and kind of uh, guardrails, as we call them, for customer happiness. You know, the, the common ones are, you know, uptime and usage frequency, although we would do usage frequency of a product by, by cohort, you know, by plan size, by, you know, and look at that over time and make sure that was improving. We would look at were support drivers and call drivers to that product going down over time. And most of those call drivers are usually user experience issues and not bugs, right? And there was a long list of these things, uh, these metrics that we were looking at we could look at and see your customers are getting happier over time. And of course we were asking customers and we were looking at their NPS and we were looking at qualitative feedback that they were given for the product. Mm -hmm. And that let us pull back from having a roadmap and let the teams run as fast as possible, uh, delighting their customers. So, so we, we, you're talking about uh, the, the teams there at, at HubSpot, and yes. so um, when you were, uh, I guess, kind of rebuilding uh, the product team as chief product officer there, um, you reduced the size of the uh, the product teams, um, uh, and, and so I'm sort of interested to know, you know, why why did you do that, you know, and what was the impact that that sure. had on HubSpot and the customers of HubSpot? Okay, so when we got to HubSpot, we had to. Um do two things, rebuild the entire product, right? 100% of the product had to be rebuilt. Uh, nothing was left over post kind of rebuilt. And, uh, and we had to not only rebuild, but we had to expand that product into new uh, markets and also into totally new capabilities like we started to build sales software alongside marketing software. Uh, the second thing that we had to do was we had to rebuild the entire engineering product and design team. And so kind of daunting task while, you know, growing customers. And, you know, we went from like 2,500 customers to around 15,000 customers in this time. And from a team of, let's say, 50 some odd people in product to close to 200 people. And so what, 
the thing that we did was, and this was something that we had been doing at Performable at a smaller scale, was this kind of idea of this customer-driven organization. Mm -hmm. What we did was, uh, luckily HubSpot had, HubSpot is a platform that is made up of, of many products, like email marketing might be a product, uh, analytics is another product, um, you know, uh, reporting and blogging are different products and etc. And so we built, I decided to have these small teams uh, that would own an entire product. And a small team for us was a three-person engineering team. So a three-person engineering team would own all of uh, blogging, let's say, mm -hmm. right? The whole thing, the everything from like building the rebuilding the entire platform, um, dealing with uptime, migrating old customers from the old platform to the new platform, uh, every new feature you could think about, user testing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, and we never let the teams get beyond the, the size of three. And the reason that we chose three was I made three up. It was totally arbitrary. I said, the teams are going to be three. And if three doesn't work, then we'll change the number. But three worked. And three worked because it was big enough that they could support a product, but small enough that the lead, the tech lead, as we called it, which was the lead engineer on the three-person team, um, could manage the, the other two folks on the team, but still can be a core contributor 90% of their time plus. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't do what most companies did, which was turn our, try to turn our best engineers into managers. We kept them focused on what they did best, which was coding and uh, mentoring. And so those three-person teams uh, worked with a product manager and worked with a dedicated designer uh, to build their product and what they decided on what they would work on uh, prioritization and all that project management stuff, the engineering team owned, not the product manager. And they worked with customers doing user testing, handling support issues, and, and just like constantly being in connection with their customers and building the software that solved that customer's uh, problems. Awesome. So, and now with, uh, I, I guess, sort of drift as you build out the team, you're going to stick to the number three if it continues yeah. to work. Yeah. Exactly, the magic number three, right? Okay. And, you know, that's always a fun thing to explain to, you know, like new engineers, both at HubSpot and uh, Drift uh, uh, today, which is Y3. Oh, yeah. just, it's made up. That thing an engineer wor uh, hates worse than just something <laughs> that's arbitrary. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, you, you, we're moving on to just the la last uh, couple of questions uh, as we come to the end of the show in here. And uh, I, I want to know, um, you know, what are David Cancel's lessons to becoming a customer-driven company? What are your, I guess, kind of, you know, top tips, uh, as it were, for the, for the other, you know, SaaS startups that, that are listening? Yeah. Don't have any roadmaps, number one. <laughs> no, really, uh, all joking aside, that's something that you can lean into once you have customers. Mm -hmm. uh, you need some level of roadmap, obviously, before you have customers because you don't have input into the system. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, spend your time trying to build small teams that are in connection with the customer from day one. And you know that will affect uh, the, your culture and the people you bring onto your team because you will meet you know, whether it's engineers or designers or what have you, people along the way who may be great fits who do not want to talk to customers. And you need to weed those people out, right, in order to have a customer-driven company. Mm -hmm. You really need to uh, bring in people who are going to be okay with talking to customers and trying to solve their problems 
and and kind of have that as their mission over just trying to invent something that would make themselves happy, right? And I think that's the trap that most uh, innovators and entrepreneurs and creators of it, you know, try to fall in that fall into, which is I just want to build something because you know it's my idea, and you know nobody gives gives a shit about your idea, right? Except you and maybe your mom and your family maybe care about your idea, right? What people care about is something that helps them, right? Something that selfishly helps them, makes them feel better. And that is what you're trying to build, right? And maybe that'll do that for you, yourself, and it'll also do it for other people. So really build a team around, around that core um, kind of value. I'd say make sure to bring people onto the team who are, have something to prove, are constantly learning. You know, for myself, I'm obsessed with constant learning. And uh, I do a ton of reading. I'm always watching videos. I'm always trying to improve myself in something. It doesn't have to do with just work mm-hmm. uh, or kind of the, what craft you're into. It has to do with anything that you're interested in. Be around interesting people and try to recruit people who are interesting. And the test that I have for people is that no matter if they're an intern or they're a very senior person or someone in between, uh, everyone that joins the team has to, I have to feel like they can teach me something, mm-hmm. right? And that's my kind of, for selfishly, I need that. I need to be around people who are passionate about what they do. And I feel like they can teach me something, whether it's teach me something about rock climbing or, you know, paddle boarding or, uh, you know, coding or designing or what, what have you. Uh, they need to be passionate about something, ideally lots of things, and kind of bring that passion uh, to the workplace. This, uh, this podcast is gold dust for anyone who wants to get a job at Drift because you're just getting all the, all the insights into, uh, into how to get an offer. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, uh, re- really great uh, 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 tips there. And, um, uh, you, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, many uh, founders and SaaS startups will, will take those uh, on, on board. Now, I guess kind of, well, I've got a final question, uh, you know, what one... Uh, I guess serious uh, and one I, I probably shouldn't even ask, but uh, <laughs> uh, on, on the serious one. Um, so you, you're, we mentioned at the beginning you're on your fifth startup, right? So yep. I mean, does it get easier each time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, some things get easier, like you, like I kind of alluded to in the beginning. Mm. Uh, for me, you know, uh, raising money. If mm. you happen to do that, and you don't need to do that to start a company, but you know, I did in this company. Uh, certainly gets easier. Uh, so that got easier. Um, hiring, you know, gets a little easier. Um, still hard, but uh, you know, I feel like, and this is true for Elias, who's my co-founder too, who's our CTO. You know, we have this thing inside of us that we want to constantly prove ourselves, and so you know, we're kind of proving ourselves all over again in, in starting Drift and proving that we can do it again. And uh, and so you know, we, you know, for me, I kind of I don't. Um, I'm interested in people who can, and fascinated by people who can continuously do something awesome, right? Whether that's like a football player or a baseball player or, you know, a businessman or what have you. Like, I want to talk to someone who's done it repeatedly. I'm not so interested in talking to someone who's been massively successful once, right? And uh, and because I think it takes... Um, I'm interested in the learning and the feedback, and I'm also interested in that person and the humility that they had in order to be able to continuously learn, 
right? And so, you know, someone like Michael Jordan fascinates me because not only because he was able to repeatedly win, but because he was uh, continuously learning and improving his craft. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is amazing. And so, um, you know, that's that's the kind of uh, that part never gets easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're used to it, and so there are things that get easier. But I'd say most of it is still hard. You still have the anxiety. You still have the uh, <laughs> that all of us have in starting a company that never goes away, yep. and uh, and the fear never goes away. Even though you may have, you know, on paper you look like you have a lot less to lose. Uh, you you I, actually I become more fearful, not less fearful over time. Okay, well, um, you, you know, really good sort of insights there. And uh, I think there's probably, you know, many founders listening that, that will sort of, you know, resonate with that. I'm, I'm not sure how many have, you know, founded five startups, but probably actually, <laughs> pro- probably, day, probably yeah, quite a lot because it's quite easy to, you know, start a business these days and quite easy to fail, to be quick to fail. But I'm not to say that, um, you know, I think most of your, your startups seem to have been uh, a, a success. Um, so, uh um, so, you, you know, thanks for the insights uh, on, on that. Now, this last one, I mean, you know, it sounds like perhaps uh, ending on a, uh, on, a, on a bum note here or I'm going to embarrass myself yeah. by asking this. But you know, your, your surname, you know, unfortunate for a man perhaps who's obsessed about keeping customers, right? <laughs> and I'm sure you've heard that before. But you know, yeah. can, can we just not, you know... Uh, change your name by Depol or whatever to David Retention or something. Hey, retention, like that. <laughs> I should change that. I, I will say that you know, uh, my name. I'm I'm Hispanic, and so the my name is actually Cancel. Okay, so, okay. Uh, so that's the proper proper way to say it. But you know, uh, but yes, we all call it Cancel. Okay. And, uh, I will change it. I will be David Retain for life. Yeah, that's it. Dave, that's it. Awesome. All right. Well. Uh, you know, thanks so much for, for, for joining the show uh, today, David. I think, you know, it, it's been a really uh, awesome sort of insight into, you know, uh, I guess, you know, why SaaS companies should be, you know, customer driven. And, you know, uh, it, we've got a, a better understanding of, you know, who uh, sort of Drift are and uh, how to get a job at Drift uh, as, as well. Um, so, th- you know, thanks for, for, for joining the show. Thank you so much, Alex. It was a pleasure and I love your blog and I uh, look forward to, to reading and keeping up with what you're doing. No, no, you're you're welcome. And uh, you know, if you liked this uh, episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, love it if you could rate and review it. And uh, you know, we'll uh, speak to you next time.